and it's been a little while since we've been uh, in this series that I have entitled, Have You Ever Wondered? And um, if you remember, if you recall, this series is really just dealing with various um, issues, whether doctrinal issues or other practical uh, questions that we may face and trying to examine them from a biblical perspective. And I've even invited you to feel free to ask questions if you've got something that you've just been wondering about. Um, And I know I've got a a, a few still uh, in my uh, email uh, folder of those, and, and I intend to get to those. So if you've sent me a question I haven't touched on it yet, just wait, be patient, keep coming, okay? Stay tuned, uh, and uh, we'll get to it. But um, I, I want to say, as part of this, as we look at some of these various issues, and again, you know, when it comes to things like doctrinal issues and things of that nature, I, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can kind of um, maybe turn it off a little bit or think in our minds, well, this is just kind of boring, intellectual, um, you know, factual issues that don't really apply to my life. But the reason that we're examining these things is because they actually do have an impact, not just your doctrine affects your practice, right? Uh, What you believe and what you understand about what the Bible says has implications in your life, in your worship, in your service to God. And so all of these things do apply and, and, and they are very important. And so even as we look at this issue tonight, um, I think you'll see as we get toward the end of the message that, uh, that there, is, there is a takeaway from this that uh, all of us really need to be considering uh, in our service to the Lord. And so tonight we're going to look at the issue of speaking in tongues and why do we as a church not speak in tongues? Uh, there are those out there, uh, primarily the, what we would deem charismatic uh, churches, some within the uh, Pentecostal denominations and things of that nature, that believe that the gift of tongues is still relevant for today, and uh, they still practice at least what they call speaking in tongues within their churches. And we, th- the question often is, well, why don't we do that? And, uh, and so I want to just kind of examine that tonight. Now, hopefully... You recall, uh, or were here to to hear the message. I think the last time we were uh, that we we touched on this was back at the end of September. So it's been a month and a half. But at the end of September, uh, we looked at the issue of prophecy, and we considered what the Bible said at the end of First uh, Corinthians thirteen about the sign gifts, and when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. All of those truths apply in this instance as well, although we're not going to take the time to really cover that side of the issue tonight. All right, so if you're in 1 Corinthians 14, let's stand together uh, as, as we begin reading in verse number 1. And uh, let's go down uh, through verse 12, all right? And the Bible says here, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, follow after charity... And desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men, this is very important, to edification 
and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in this world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, would you please help us uh, to truly understand what your word is saying to us here, and may we then follow the example and the exhortation of your word. Father, this church is not our church, it is your church. You are the head of this body, and we want to do your will. So help us, Lord, uh, rightly divide your word, that we may uh, be obedient to it, and help us, Lord, to understand not just what we are to do, but, the, but why we are to do it. Lord, you've given us an explanation here, and help us to, to rightly divide, to understand that, but also then, Lord, to make application, and even consider uh, how these things might apply in our lives each day. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. So this question of the issue of speaking in tongues obviously is not a new issue. This isn't something that is uh, relevant only in our particular time because this was an issue that there's almost an entire chapter of the Bible dedicated to this issue that was written almost 2,000 years ago. So uh, this has been something that's been an issue in churches for a long time, although I would say that the, the, the things that we are facing today in regard to speaking in tongues are quite different even than what was uh, going on here in Corinth at the time. Uh, but, the, but the same principles and the same truths still apply. And so Paul is writing here, remember he just uh, took chapter 13 and, and explained how charity is really the be-all, end-all of the Christian life, that everything we do is to be motivated by love, love for God, love for one another. And this was in the context of spiritual gifts. And now he comes over to chapter 14, and he deals with the issue primarily of speaking in tongues. Toward the end of the chapter, he talks about the, the issues of, of prophecy, of, of women speaking in church, and all of those things. But primarily, this chapter deals with the speaking of tongues. And 
I will say this as well. Some of the verses even that we just read are often taken out of context and misused uh, when, when it comes to people trying to justify why they still continue to try to speak in tongues in churches today. And I want to just do our best to really uh, get a biblical pr- picture and understanding uh, of, of uh, what the Bible says about this issue. So, uh, again, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he says at the beginning of the, the chapter, "...follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts." but rather that ye may prophesy. We talked last time about what prophecy is biblically. It is proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. And every time a preacher opens the Bible and preaches the word of God, that's exactly what's taking place. Prophecy. Uh, There is a proclaiming. This is what God has said. And and so he says, uh, rather that ye may prophesy... And the rather is apparently in reference to speaking in tongues because he says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Now, there are people who have taken this verse to say, Well, see, speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that no people could ever understand. It's a heavenly language. You'll hear people say that. It's a heavenly language. And when you see someone today who says they're speaking in tongues, they're rambling a bunch of sounds together that make no sense whatsoever, right? And then they'll, they'll go over and where it says uh, near the end of the chapter that uh, if, if uh, uh, verse number 28, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Uh, they'll say, well, uh, it's okay to just ramble these things, to speak in tongues, as long as there's someone to interpret. And so someone will stand there and try to tell you what the guy who just said something totally nonsensical just said. You know what that reminds me of? I'm not trying to belittle people here tonight, but seriously, when I hear this, when I see this, here's what it reminds me of. Those of you who've had multiple children, you've experienced this. Because there will be a little baby or toddler who starts kind of babbling. You ever have that, seen this? Babbling something that they can't understand. And then an older sibling will come along and try to tell you what they just said. So it might sound like this. Your toddler comes up to you. Bah, 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 bah. And his four-year-old brother might say, he says, can we please have ice cream? Tell me I'm not the only one who's ever heard something like that. Now, that wasn't what the kid said. But that was an interpretation of the tongues. (laughs) Folks, I I just want to tell you, this 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 is not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about speaking in tongues. You say, well, well, what does it mean that that uh, verse number 2, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Anytime you see tongues in the Bible, the word tongue literally means language. And anytime you actually see it in practice, it is the speaking of a language that is unknown to the speaker, but not to the hearer. It's a, it is a speaking that is unknown to the speaker, but not to the hearer. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians 14 and go with me uh, to Acts chapter 2. And this is the first time that we see this take place. 
in Scripture. And so this is the scriptural pattern of tongues. Okay? Acts chapter 2, the, the, the day of Pentecost is fully come. Verse number 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Understand that these were not people who had learned these other languages. They were speaking languages that they had not yet learned, but the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. And it says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and so on and so forth. Verses 9 and 10 and 11. Verse 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So understand this. The biblical example of tongues was people listening to the word of God being preached by a preacher who did not speak their language, but they could hear and understand it. It was a miraculous miracle of God adding clarity to his word. This was opposite of what we see happening with the speaking of tongues today. When you have speakers who are all speaking the same language where they can clearly understand each other, and then one starts rambling in a tongue that nobody understands. That's the opposite of what we saw God doing in the New Testament. In fact, in our main text here in 1 Corinthians 14, notice what it says here uh, in at, at the end of the chapter, in verse number 33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Now, has God ever been the author of confusion? Uh, yeah, I remember one time he was the author of confusion. Back in the book of Genesis, when they were building that tower of Babel, and he said... Nothing's going to be restrained to them that they've, that they've set their mind to do, right? So we're going to go down, we're going to confound the languages, and what happened? When the languages were confounded, they could no longer understand each other, they could no longer work together, and there was division that took place, right? And the people all went their separate ways. So God confounded the languages so that communication was hindered, and it caused division. But when we come over to the New Testament and we find God's desire for His New Testament churches, what is it? Unity, not division. Peace, not confusion. So we don't see this example of, okay, God's bringing in this weird language that nobody's ever heard. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. The biblical scriptural pattern for tongues was... A speaker who did not know a language being enabled by the Spirit of God to communicate the Word of God to people who had never heard in their own heart language.
Now, there were Jews that were living or that were in Jerusalem for the, 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 the Feast of Pentecost and all that. No doubt these people knew and understood Hebrew, but that was not their heart language. And so they're speaking to them now in their language so they can hear the word of God in their own tongue. Now, let me ask you this. Have you seen a church in your lifetime that has people exercising this kind of tongues? Someone who has no ability, no, has never learned a language, but at, at that very moment that someone comes in that doesn't speak their language, they are able to communicate the word of God to them. I've never seen that happen. But that was the biblical example of tongues. And in the New Testament times, this was something that the Lord gave as a spiritual gift so that primarily, okay, the purpose of tongues, so that was the pattern of tongues, but the, the, the simple purpose of tongues was this. People could hear and understand the word of God in their heart language. And it was a sign also to unbelievers. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And so God enabled people to do this. In fact, if you look, and I've, I've even had people point out verse number 18 of chapter 14. Well, see, Paul spoke with tongues because he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Wow, okay, well, Paul spoke with tongues. Well, have you ever stopped and considered that Paul went from Antioch and he went north and he went west and he went all through Asia and Macedonia and Europe and, I mean, he, he preached the word of God in a lot of different places among people that were no doubt of different languages. How did he do that? Well, according to verse number 18, he spoke with tongues. I believe the Spirit gave him utterance, and he was enabled to preach the word of God to people in their heart language. This is what God was doing. And so why would he then be condemning the practice of speaking in tongues within the church? Well, he's not exactly condemning it, but he is giving an explanation. And he's saying, listen, you're missing the whole point of the purpose of speaking in tongues. You're missing the point. Because the speaking of tongues is primarily so that the, the, the gospel can be understood in the heart language of the hearer. Secondly, it is a sign to unbelievers. Look at verse number 22. It says, wherefore... Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So this idea, he says, the, 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 the gift of tongues was given so that unbelievers would not only hear the gospel in their language, but as they witness the miracle of this taking place, it is a sign that confirms the validity of what we're preaching. Because this is something that only God could do. Now listen, again, I'm not trying to just harp on things or pick on people, but let's be real honest. The modern example of speaking in tongues is really not something that only God can do. I mean, I've literally heard of these charismatic churches trying to teach people how to speak in tongues. 
Oh, you start with this phrase and you kind of start saying this and repeat this over and over. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, maybe then it'll start to flow out of you. Do you see that in the Bible? No. The Holy Ghost came upon them and enabled them. This was a miraculous thing. It wasn't something that was drummed up. It wasn't something that was just blurted out. It was something that God did. And so when that happened and someone who didn't speak the language was all of a sudden able to speak the language, it was obvious, okay, God is in this. You say, well, wow, I mean, don't we still need that today? Well, there's something to consider about that. First of all, Jesus said, remember, Jesus said that it's a a wicked and an adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And 1 Corinthians 1.22 tells us that it's actually, it was primarily Jews who were looking for a sign. It says the Jews seek after a sign and the Greeks are seeking after wisdom. And so we could say this, I think without doing any damage to Scripture, that the, 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 the gift of tongues was, was a sign to unbelieving, primarily unbelieving Jews that the gospel was truly the word of God. And today, by the way, remember that we have a completed and perfect Bible and the sign by which others know that what we believe and preach and teach is true is not our miraculous ability to speak in tongues, but what is it? John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. It is actually the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, manifested through us, that is the greatest sign to the world that the message that we proclaim is true. It is our charity. It is our love. Because the greatest of these gifts is charity. And so it's not... These these spiritual gifts, these sign gifts that were given were primarily for the Jewish people. And by the way, not only were they given uh, so that the Jewish people could hear the gospel in their language and it would be a sign unto them, but they were actually given as a witness against the Jews. Look at verse 21 of our chapter here. It says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that, Will they not hear me, saith the Lord? So so God even said the reason before tongues were ever a thing, God said, I'm going to do this as a witness against them. I'm going to give them a sign, and they're going to reject the sign. So again, getting back to this purpose of tongues, when we look at our situation today where we are, we really don't have a need for it in the way that it was once needed. We have a completed Bible. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And primarily the gospel is not being spread to the Jewish people. It's taking place in the Gentile world. And so not only is is the fact that what we're seeing today not following the scriptural pattern of tongues, but even the purpose of tongues is really not enforced today as it once was. And now I want to get to the issue of what I would call the problem the, the, the sinful problem with tongues. Because notice what he says here in verse number 4. It says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. 
Now the charismatics want to interpret that to say, well, you know, it encourages you. But that's not what it says. It says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now think about this with me. Two weeks ago, I was in Ecuador, and unexpectedly, it was kind of thrust upon me. I needed to preach in a language that is somewhat foreign to me. And I have enough experience in it that, praise the Lord, He enabled me and helped me, and I was able to get something across anyway. But my goal in that, the reason I didn't stand up and preach in English is because it would do no good for the church there. They wouldn't have understood me. And I could have preached a whole lot better in English than I could have in Spanish. But if I came back here and I stood up and just started preaching in Spanish, well, that really wouldn't edify most of you either. You know what it might do, though? It might cause me to feel like I, was, I had some ability that someone else didn't have. And I might really just be showing off. I would be edifying myself, not the church. Now... How much more if it wasn't something that I had learned, but something that was a gift of God in my life that he had enabled me just by the Spirit of God to do something that others couldn't do. And I stood up and I did that, not because you needed to hear it in a different language, but because I wanted you to see just how spiritual I am. What would I be doing? I would be edifying myself and not the church. You know what that is? That's sin. That's sin. And this is, this is what Paul's getting to. Listen, if, if I speak, look what he says, verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man, but unto God. Sure, God would understand. But that's not what we're doing in church, just speaking to God. We're speaking to each other for the purpose of edification, and if my focus is on edifying myself, then I'm actually not doing what God intended for me to do within the church. And so this is a problem. This was self-exaltation. It was selfish. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. That's no good. It's not useful. It's not practical. It's not helpful. It's selfish. You're speaking to edify yourself. That was the issue in those days. But can I tell you that the, the, the quote-unquote tongues that we see practiced in modern churches today, I, I believe is not only dangerous because of self-exaltation, but it's dangerous because it actually, and this is going to probably sound extreme to some, but, but I, I want you to listen carefully. It actually is a pagan practice with demonic undertones. It's paganism and demonism. 
Now, I'm not saying that everyone who does this is demonic or is possessed with a demon. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the practice itself has its roots in paganism. Why would I say that? Well, because the whole concept is this idea of I'm letting go of myself and I am letting something control me and speak through me that I don't even understand what it is. And I have no control over it whatsoever. And I'm just yielding to it. Let me tell you something. Anyone who tries to ascribe that to the Holy Spirit is sorely mistaken. When the Holy Spirit of God is working through a person, that person does not lose control of themselves. The Holy Spirit does not take control of one of his children and force him to do things against his will. This is the, this is the problem that you see within these charismatic churches of people being slain in the Spirit, falling backwards, laughing uncontrollably, shaking, things like that. Listen, that's not of God. You go to the New Testament. You know who it was that couldn't control themselves and were cast down? It was people who were possessed with demons, devils. Remember that man who came to Jesus and he said, my son, he, he throws himself into the fire and into the water because he was possessed with devils. That's not what the Holy Spirit of God does. What does the Holy Spirit do? Look at verse number, uh, verse number 32 of our chapter here. It says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know, when someone is filled <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit, and we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, here are some things that are absolutely true of them. Their thoughts, their words, and their actions are being influenced by the Holy Spirit. They are being guided and directed and strengthened and helped. But at no point does a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit lose his free will or lose his mental faculties. In fact, you can be filled with the Spirit one moment and choose not to be the next. It is your will, and, and really it is as you surrender and submit your will to God's that you are filled with the Spirit. But this is not just yielding, giving something, oh, I'm saying something that I can't even control, it's just coming out of me. That's not how this works, folks. That, that concept, that practice, is, it, it, it's in all kinds of pagan religions, um, different types of indigenous religions around the world. One of the things that's big in Western societies today is this New Age type movement. And folks, I don't, I don't want to get on hobby horses here, but you, go, you start looking into some of the practices that are even a lot of Christians are involved in today. Um, uh, uh, different types of meditation, uh, yoga, uh, a lot of different things. If you go back to their roots... It was this idea of clearing the mind, letting go of your own control and letting something else come in and control you. I'm just saying that that's, that's not 
That is not God's way. And so even when tongues were a valid gifting of the Holy Spirit, they were not what you're seeing take place in 21st century churches. It's just not happening. And then we see what what I call the superior practice, because notice what he says in verse number 2. And this is really where it gets to the application aspect of this for us. Look what he says. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, to exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Uh, Notice what he says in verse number 11. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be as a barbarian or a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Here's what he's saying. Listen. Rather than looking for some miraculous ability that others don't have, Ask God to help you to edify others. Now, at Mount Zion Baptist Church, we don't, I don't think we have anyone who speaks in tongues on a regular basis. But I think it's probably fair to say that at times... Maybe some of us are guilty of edifying ourselves rather than seeking to edify the church. Do you know that's possible for me as a preacher to stand up here and preach with the mindset and with the heart that I hope that people listen and are impressed with me? It's possible. But that ought never be my heart. You know, there, there was a time early on in my ministry and, and, and even before that when I first started preaching that I would get really, really nervous before preaching. You know what that nervousness really was? I didn't want to look like a fool. I didn't want people to think ill of me. And I wanted it to go well so that people would think well of me. You know what that is? Seeking to edify yourself. You know what the nervousness really should be? Lord, I really want this message to help somebody. I want you, I'm asking you to use this to encourage someone to convict someone, to bring the lost person to salvation, to to bring about a a, a change in someone's heart. I, I mean, I want God to use this because, listen, 
if I stand up here and preach and nothing actually happens to where God is working in your heart, then it's really just kind of a waste of everybody's time. We're just speaking words into the air. But that's not what this is for. Prophecy is to edify the church. And by the way, if you have the opportunity to stand up and sing in church, you know what your desire should be? Not, let me show them how talented I am. It should be, let me use my voice to bring glory to my Savior and hopefully be a help and encouragement to someone. If you play an instrument, it should be the same. If you teach a Sunday school class, it should be the same. It, it, whatever ministry it is that you're involved in, as you work around the building, as you uh, take care of the facilities here and cleaning or, or, or some kind of maintenance, or you, you go out on visitation, your goal should never be, let me show other people how spiritual I am. Your goal should be, Lord, how can I serve you and serve your people? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That should be the heart of God's people. Not that we could puff ourselves up and lift ourselves up, but that we could be a vessel that would be used to bring honor and glory to God by being a blessing to others. And so as we consider this issue of speaking in tongues, I know there are probably Christians out there who think, well, it's not really that big of an issue. And I would say actually it is. It's a much bigger issue than maybe you realize. Because what's going on today is not what happened in the Bible. And even in the Bible, there were problems with that becoming a primary use of a spiritual gift within a church. It wasn't necessarily for the benefit of the church. It never really was. And so, folks, we need to determine in our hearts, Lord, just use us to glorify you with the gifts and abilities you've given to us today. And so I hope that, that that will be your heart and your desire and your prayer. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us in this way.